All right, well, I am glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here too. Um, I have, I'm a dear friend, or Galen Turner's a dear friend of mine, way up there in the balcony. Galen, we've been talking about me coming here for many, many years, so it's finally fun to, to get to be here. Let me introduce somebody to you real quick before I get started. Uh, Shingy, do you mind standing up? This is Shingy, my travel buddy. Everybody say, hey, Shingy. Hey. Now, you would agree Shingy's a little bit different name, okay? So tell them what your name means. Uh, my name means never give up. Isn't that cool? Never give up. And he's originally from? Okay, so he gets surprised for traveling the furthest today's worship service, okay? All right, so let's get started. Do we have my clicker down there? There we go. Thanks, Shingy. Um, so we're talking today about reaching the next generation. That's our topic. And we don't have a lot of time, but I really want to uh, download as much as I can that would be helpful in just knowing how to connect with the emerging generation. And I thought to myself, maybe the best way to start today on this topic would be to give you a pop quiz, I can tell you really love this idea already. So in just a moment, I'm going to put on the screen 10 very common phrases that this emerging generation commonly uses. Your job is to interpret them, okay? So you can use a buddy or a spouse or a friend next to you, or, or you can just pray. But um, here are the phrases. I'm going to play a little background music. You've got one minute to decipher these 10 phrases. Get on your marks. Get set. Go. Okay, your time is up. Can you already tell this does not feel like a typical sermon on Sunday morning, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to grade our own papers, okay? We're just going to see how well you know the emerging generation. Moms and dads, I'm hoping you pass this test, all right? So we'll go through these phrases one by one. If you know the right answer, just shout it out. And if you don't know, please don't shout, okay? All right? All right, so number one, Netflix and... Very good. Netflix and chill. Most of you got that. Number two, fear of being... Offline, good. One of you got that, all right? Fear of being offline. So, you know, in other words, we, have, we get very anxious when we're not, we don't have our phones with us. You understand that, don't you? Okay. Number three, sip. No. <laughs> sip tea. Sip tea. Yeah. All right. Uh, num- ladies in the room, man crush, Monday. Guys in the room, woman crush. <laughs> Thank you, Sopranos and Altos, for that answer. I appreciate that. All right. Number six, fear of messing, messing up. All right. Number seven, sorry, not good. Number eight, you know this one, fear of missing, good. Number nine, throw, throw shade, good. All right, so we got some. All right, and then the last, last one, left me on the, left me on the road, left me on the road. That's when, that's when somebody sends you a snap, or no, somebody sends you a snap and you don't snap back, Snapchat. So uh, there you have it. All right, did anybody in the room get all 10? Let me see your hands. Anybody get all 10? I'm not seeing any hands. All right, would anybody raise your hand and say, 
I have no idea what we just did the last 60 seconds of this service. Yeah, that's several of you. Okay. All right. Well, we're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. Okay, so let's take a minute. I think what we need to do over the next 30, 35 minutes is make this feel like a doctor's appointment, okay? So we're going to spend some time in a diagnosis. Who are these beings in the emerging generation that I love? And I think you love them too. But my guess is if you're like most people who are established adults, you're going, I'm not sure if I totally understand them. Would that be accurate to say? I love them, but I'm not sure. Can I just give you a metaphor that might help you? Um, I turned 60 years old this year. Thank you very much. But I'm telling you, the, the, the older I get, and of course, high school and college students stay the same age, the more I feel this gap. And quite often, I feel like it's a cross-cultural relationship. Have you all been overseas somewhere? Most of you, many of you, some of you, okay. You've got some group over there, right, over some, some in Greece and Rome or whatever. Well, isn't it true when you go overseas, you work harder at the relationship, don't you? If you want to talk to somebody, they speak a different language, different customs, different values. Bingo. Different language, different customs, different values. And we need to be intentional at working with them. Now, just like overseas, you go to France, talking louder and slower doesn't help, okay? I'm telling you, you ever do that? Hello, you know, and that just doesn't help. So what we're going to do is understand this emerging generation, and then the last several minutes, we're going to spend time, how do we communicate with them? How do we really connect to be the great moms and dads, grandparents, uncles, teachers, coaches that we need to be to reach them, okay? All right, so let's jump in. Let's answer this big $64,000 question, who are these digital natives? One of the reasons I'm so passionate about this topic is that... Um, we are now raising a generation of first, meaning it's a population of kids that are inaugurating so many new realities, it's no wonder we didn't know what to do. We've never done this before. Here's a good example. You, you'll get this immediately. My own mother and father could not teach me how to raise a child with a portable device in their hand. They never raised a child with a portable device. So my wife and I are making up as we go. Anybody feel like you're making up as you go, trying to navigate today's very different high-tech, high-convenience, high... -tech, high high-speed world. So let's look at this real quick. A generation of first. Let me give you a handful of statements that will tell you why we've got to pay attention to learning how to reach them. Think about this. Today's students are part of the first generation that doesn't need adults to get information. That's just weird. The schoolhouse used to be the storehouse of knowledge. They had to come to school to learn anything. Well, that's not true anymore. Thank you, Google. They don't need us for information. But can I tell you this? They need us for interpretation. Let me help you make sense of all that you know. I realize you watched 17 YouTube videos on this. Now, now let me give context to the content. By the way, isn't that one of the problems of our day? We have content with no context. And then we send out a tweet, you know, like we know what we're talking about. Here's another one. Today's students are part of the first generation that can broadcast their every thought or emotion. So if you want to think about it this way, the first one, they don't need us to get information. The second one, they don't need us to send information which of course has a lot of NCAA programs in a quandary, where that star athlete is tweeting what he thinks about his coach, forgetting he's the PR for the university. You can be an author without being an authority. Isn't that scary? Here's another one. Number three, today's students are the first generation that enjoys external stimuli at their fingertips 24-7. Now, I'm not suggesting that's the end of the world, but can I tell you what I've thought many, many times? My two kids are both millennials. Bethany is 30, Jonathan's 26. I've often thought, as they were growing up with a portable device in their hand, some smartphone pinging at them all the time, stimulating them from the outside, I often thought, will they ever develop internal motivation? Where they don't need Katy Perry to get them going in the morning? Where it's the spirit of the living God that's moving them on the inside, not, I need some stimuli from the outside. You follow what I'm saying? 
But this is a new day. We never had to navigate this, at least when I was a kid. Now we do. How do we build a heart that listens to the voice of God and doesn't need the voice of Lady Gaga to, to tell him where to go? I'm just asking. Here's another one. Number four, today's students are part of the first generation that's in social contact at all times, yet often in isolation. Isn't this the paradox of our day, that we can be social, really connected, but not really with people, you know? In fact, I was at Ohio State University a couple of years ago talking to faculty and um, coaches at, o at OSU. And during the break, one of the profs, one of the professors came up to me with a big smile on his face. And he said, oh, yes, this is a very social generation. Not really good with people, but they're very social, you know. <laughs> how can that be? Oh, that's what we have. By the way, have you noticed how we all can become very socially lazy with a portable device in our hand? So we can ghost each other. You know what ghosting is, don't you? That's where a high school boy might be dating a high school girl. They're having a text conversation. The conversation kind of goes sideways. So one of them just ghosts the other. In fact, I talked to a high school female, a, 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 a girl, sophomore high school, and I said, are you guys still dating? And she goes, I'm not, I don't think so. I said, how do you not know? He said, well, he ghosted me. I, I don't know if he left his phone at home or he's not wanting to talk anymore. So that's how we break up now. We just don't have a hard conversation. We, we just stop showing up for the conversation. Here's another one. Today's students are part of the first generation that will learn more from a portable device in a class. You know that's true, don't you? The average adolescent in America spends the equivalent of a full-time job about nine hours a day on a portable device, and it's not school. So how do we navigate this? By the way, you know this, don't you? Technology is not going away. And I don't want it to go away. We've got to be intentional in the midst of this new reality to build disciples. I think that's our goal, isn't it? All right, the last one is probably the one that concerns me the most. When I look at the data, this one uh, gives me pause. Today's students are the first generation that experiences the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Ponder that for just a minute. The level of feeling overwhelmed and anxious just because of, well, for nothing else, 10,000 messages a day coming at you. That's enough to make me feel overwhelmed. I don't think the human brain was supposed to take in 10,000 messages a day. I'm sorry, I don't need to keep up with the Kardashians. I don't. But somehow it's coming at me all the time. So with this setting, all I want to do is build a case. Would you agree, with this setting, we, have to, we may have to learn some. We may have to be way more intentional than we used to be perhaps 30 or 40 years ago. Okay? So, with that established, um, I want to step forward now, and I want to look at the passage of Scripture that I think sets the stage for what we need to talk about today. One of my favorite texts in the Old Testament is a text that's tucked away in, in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, not a book that you often memorize from, but in this great book, 1 Chronicles, the writer chronicles the clans and the tribes of Israel, kind of listing each one and what, they, what, what value they added to the rest of the nation of Israel. And when he gets to the tribe of Issachar, look at what he says. I'm going to ask you to read this out loud in a minute. And the sons of Issachar were men who, what are those next three words? Say them out loud. <laughs> men who understood the times. In other words, when we feel, feel like we're in a quandary about what's going on, these guys over here, they understand the times that we're living in. They get it. They see what's happening. And I love the fact that he didn't stop there. Look what he says next. With the knowledge of what the people of Israel should do. That's been my prayer for today. God, help us understand the times. Not run from them, run to them. And that God give us insight as to what to do. As grandparents, teachers, parents, you, you get it. I just said that. We, we've all got some role. We've all got someone, I bet, in the emerging generation that we love dearly. And we want to see them develop into healthy, marvelous adults and disciples of Jesus. 
Can, can I get an amen from the choir? All right. So having said that, let's jump in. What I'd like to do next is I'd like to look at a chart. It's actually just part of a chart that I put in the Marching Off the Map book where I list the five generations that are still influencing the world right now. My guess is all five are part of Temple Baptist. In fact, we may have all five in this room today. Did, by the way, did you know we're living for the first time in modern history where there are six distinct sociological generations living at the same time? Because people are living longer and mamas are still having babies, we have six distinct just narratives or paradigms of which they look at life. So what I'd like to do is, is I'd like to look at all five very rapidly, but I want to camp out for a moment on the final generation, the youngest kids that we're measuring today, okay? So we'll start over on the left. The builder generation would be the generation born between 1929 and 1945, okay? That would be my mom and dad's generation. Have any builder generation in here today? Raise your hand if you're a builder. Yay. By the way, aren't you just glad you can raise your hand? Right, yeah, I'm just glad. Yeah, that's right. Amen. I'm breathing. I'm here still with you today. Okay. And then the baby boomers, that would be my generation, 46 and 64. How many boomers in the room? All right. Lots of you guys. Okay. There was a boom of babies about 55, 60 years ago. All right. And then the baby busters or Gen Xers, 65 to 82. How many Xers do we have in the room? Okay. You guys are here. Good. And then the millennials or Gen Y following Gen X, basically the people born in the 80s and 90s. Any millennials in the room today? Okay, good, excellent. And then Gen Z or the Homelanders, which um, depending on what social scientists you read after, they have them starting at different times, sometimes the late 90s, sometimes the early 2000s. I have them starting at about the turn of the century. And by the way, one historian calls them the Homelanders because their generation started at about the same time as the Department of Homeland Security. <laughs> Terrorism's been a normal part of the conversation every day. It feels like somebody's getting blown up somewhere in the world every day. To them, it does. Some school shootings happening somewhere in the country every day. It feels that way. So it's a very different narrative that the kids have since the dawn of the 21st century. Now, here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to do this rapidly, so listen fast, okay? But I'd like to talk about the life paradigm that each of these generations brought with them as they move from childhood to adulthood, okay? As they move from backpack to briefcase, Okay? So let's look at this real quick. For the builder generation, my mom and dad's generation, some of you are here today, I gave you the life paradigm, be grateful you have a job. Okay? Now let me explain why. Look at the time period they grew up in. My father turns 89 this year. The first, he was born in 1930. The first 10 years of his life were the Great Depression. The next five, World War II. So can I describe him to you? He's very frugal, right? Very frugal. Right? Should I buy the chewing gum? Dad, buy the gum. Take a risk. Do it. Go for it. Go. You know, um, turn the lights off when you leave the room. Turn the light off when you leave the room. Have you all heard this before? And save the wrapping paper at Christmas. We'll use it next year. Save the paper. Have you all heard this too? By the way, I love that generation. I really do. My mom and dad are near and dear to my heart. But um, it was be grateful you have a job. Folks, I cannot tell you how many times my dad has said, be grateful you have a job. I go, dad, I started the company. Just be grateful you have a job. Yes, sir. Okay, all right, and then the baby boomers come along, and I'm a boomer. I gave us a life paradigm. I deserve better. Now, by the way, you know why boomers are called boomers, don't you? Because nine months after World War II was over, the maternity awards filled up. Okay, this is a biology lesson. Okay, so 76 million kids born in 18 years. That had never happened before. And so boomers were born in a time of expansion post-World War II. We felt entitled to a better life than mom and dad had had during the Great Depression. It was two cars, not just one. Two phones, not just one. OMG, hashtag amazing, okay? Really, really big deal, okay? So we felt like we were large and in charge and we we're gonna take over, okay? 
Xers, you guys that are Xers in the room, I gave you the life paradigm. Keep it real. Keep it real. In fact, that was one of your phrases back in the day. The reason I did is look at, look at the time period you grew up in. 65 to 82. Not only was the Vietnam War going on, it was on TV. And even though Lyndon B. Johnson kept saying, everything's fine over there, everything's fine over there, we started wondering, looking at footage, I don't know if everything's fine over there. And then you had the Watergate scandal. Now you had a Democrat and a Republican both lying from the White House. There was a very real wall of skepticism that went up in the minds and hearts of adults. And you kids that were extras looked at that skepticism and you became a little cynical yourself. Keep it real. Don't tell me everything's wonderful. It's not wonderful. And then the millennials came along. By the way, millennials, I love you. And by the way, millennials, aren't you tired of us talking about you? You probably are, aren't you? Yeah, these lazy slackers. All right, I gave, I gave the millennials a life paradigm. Life is a cafeteria. Now, let me explain why. This will make sense to you. In the same way that you go to a cafeteria and you grab a tray and a plate and you kind of grab the food you want, customizing your meal, tailored for your taste buds, these young professionals are making nearly every major decision of their life as if it were one large buffet. Can I give you some examples? My two kids are both millennials. They stopped buying CDs to get their music years ago. Why would they buy a CD? There might be five songs I don't like on that CD. I get one song at a time for my own playlist on iTunes or Spotify. Am I right, millennials? It's a buffet. They'll make educational decisions this way. They'll graduate from high school and go to three or four different colleges for one degree. One of them's overseas. Listen, they'll make spiritual decisions this way. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Oprah, shake it together, and made it my own faith. Customized to my, you know, this God really likes me. There's no one truth source, but this God really likes me. I'm telling you, we have a buffet of options. It's almost like a free agent mindset. Has little to do with higher or lower SES. It's just the mindset people have. Now, I'm leading up to Gen Z. These kids that we're measuring now, the oldest ones would be middle school, high school, maybe early college. But I have given them, as we've done focus groups across the country in multiple states, including Louisiana, this is the kind of feel that we get. Even though they're sending goofy Snapchat videos and so forth, the feel we get from these kids today is this. I'm coping and hoping. I'm stressed out. I'm a little overwhelmed at all the expectations on me. Make the grade, make the team, make, you know, that sort of thing. And it's, it's just sometimes paralyzing emotionally. More mental health issues in this emerging generation of kids than any generation in modern history. And by the way, can I just speak from my heart for a minute? I don't think life's supposed to be that way. When you're a kid, be a kid. Go out and pick up a stick and make up a game outside. Skin your knee. You know, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like they're in front of a screen and we've overwhelmed them with all the data. I don't think they need to take in 10,000 messages a day at 12 years old. But somehow... We haven't, I think we got ambushed by smartphones. I think we got ambushed. And I, when I say we, we, you and I, moms and dads and uncles and aunts and grandparents, we didn't know what would happen. And now it's happening. And what we've got to do now is lead them out of any mess that they might be in where they're not saying, I'm overwhelmed, but I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to solve problems and serve people. Galen, we talked about that. Where are you up there? We talked about that many, many. Solve problems and serve people. Solve problems and serve people. Wouldn't you like to graduate a bunch of kids from school? They know how to solve problems and serve people. Would that not be awesome? Five of you? Good enough for me. All right, let's keep going. Okay. So um, let me give you a crash course. We only have a few minutes, and I thought this might be helpful. If you want to step into the mindset of a, let's just say, a middle school, high school, college kid today, 
I'm going to give you the shifts that we see happening from the older reality, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, to the new reality they're experiencing today. Okay? Everybody with me? Fast your seatbelts. There's eight or nine of these I want to give you very quickly. Number one, I've already mentioned this, but confidence seems to be morphing into caution. Whereas a millennial might have graduated 10 or 15 years ago from school and been overconfident, I'll be the VP by 27 years old, you know, that sort of thing. Gen Z, much more cautious. I don't know, I don't know. The number one fear that Gen Z said to us in our focus groups, I'm afraid I'm gonna graduate from school and get a job that I hate, but I have to keep it just for the money. That was one of their expressions of, of their fears. Uh, number two, idealism is morphing into pragmatism. This is not all bad. Uh, again, millennials as a whole might have been over-idealistic, you know, I will change the world by noon on Friday, you know, that sort of thing. Gen Z, uh, very pragmatic. They saw that the jobs didn't open up right away for millennials, and so they're a little more pragmatic. Uh, and by the way, I love, I love people that are practical, but don't you agree, youth ought to have some idealism. I think Jesus purposely cho chose 12 young men, don't you? Because they actually would believe they could change the world, and they did in the book of Acts, last time I checked. So we've got to make sure, yeah, they need to be pragmatic, but they need to not lose their ideals. By the way, do we not live by an ideal that Jesus is Lord and that one day he will be master over everybody? I mean, he is master, but people will be following him. So we're working toward that kingdom, that rule and reign of God one day. Here's another one. Attacking a career is morphing into hacking one. So that Gen Z kid today, let's say they're sophomore in high school, has watched their older brother or sister and it didn't work out like they thought. In fact, the older brother or sister bought into what mom and dad said. And what mom and dad said was, just go to college and you get a great job. Well, they went to college and, oh, the great job didn't open up right away. In fact, what they had to do was move back home with a $28,000 debt. They're now a barista at Starbucks, which they could have done prior to college. Didn't happen every time, but enough time. Have you heard a story like that? And I'm thinking, no wonder. So they're going, I'm going to hack my way through my post-secondary experience. I'll graduate from high school and get a couple, take a couple of MOOCs here, massive online open course, get an internship there, get a mentor over there, take a class here, and my resume will be a hodgepodge of items that I show to an employer so he or she can hire me for a gig. It's called the gig economy. They might have a job here, but a gig on the side, or do a gig here for a year and a half, then a different gig here for two years. One employer in Atlanta, Georgia recently said to me, the corporate ladder has become the corporate lily pad. You follow me? Kind of hopping around here. I kind of get bored quick. Spending money is morphing into saving money. This is a, a good one. Uh, where the millennials incurred the greatest sum of debt. By the way, college debt is the largest debt we have in America. Did you know that? Even more than credit card debt. Even more than credit card debt. So bless their hearts, they graduated at a time where college prices were really high, and then they, maybe the job didn't open up right away, perhaps. And so... Um, Gen Z is much better at saving money than the millennials as a whole. Um, consuming media is morphing into creating media. What I mean by that is a millennial high school student 10 or 15 years ago might have come home from school and watched YouTube videos for three hours. Gen Z goes, I want to make those videos. We need to take advantage of that. They want to be makers. Uh, the next one, viral posts are morphing into vanishing ones. You understand this, right? So we still love viral. Everybody likes likes and shares and views, no, no doubt about it. But Gen Z has watched the older millennials suffer from their decisions on social media. So let's say a millennial might have gone to that college party on Friday night and got crunk, crazy drunk, posted pictures on Instagram, forgetting they had the job interview on Monday. 
Ah, and the employer looked at the post and said, not going to hire you. So Gen Z goes, well, I still have to go to the party, and I still will post, but it'll be on Snapchat, not Instagram. It'll go away in nine seconds. They're not stupid. The next one, text messages are morphing into iconic messages. Have you noticed this? Whereas a decade ago, we were texting words and words and more words. Now there's icons, images, emojis, bitmojis, stickers. Have you noticed how much imagery is being used today? Images are the language of the 21st century, not words. Are we leveraging metaphors the same way Jesus did? You know Jesus leveraged metaphors, didn't he? We call them parables. They were stories and sometimes just images of leaven that he would leave us to think about. And then lastly, as I mentioned, anticipation seems to be morphing into anxiety. It, um, it's the greatest concern I have because I so believe in this new generation of students. I think they may be the one that actually does change the world. They certainly have access to technology and information like never before, but right now a very, very anxious generation. So let me push pause and do something really strange, okay? Maybe that won't surprise you at this point in the, in the message. But I want to play three minutes, one minute each, of three music videos. Because I want you to see over the last 15 years how music and the narrative of music has even morphed among millennials and now Gen Z. So this has never been done in this church before, perhaps. But if you'll look at the screens in just a second, I'm going to click on a song that came out 15 years ago when the millennials were peaking. Millennials in the room, do you remember the Black Eyed Peas? Okay, uh, yes, thank you for that holy grunt. I appreciate that. All right, so the Black Eyed Peas came out. They were top of the charts 15 years ago. They did a song called Let's Get It Started. Just watch. Here it is. By the way, watch and listen. You're going to learn from both what they do and what they say. Here it is. Okay, you kind of saw what was happening there, right? Would you say it's a pretty optimistic song, right? Let's get it started, let's get it started in here. By the way, I've memorized all those lyrics. I have, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Okay, so they're dancing out in the street. By the way, at nighttime, they're outside at nighttime. Ooh. We would never let our kids go outside at nighttime now. Is, am I right about this? We have gotten so safety preoccupied. So they're, they're, they're dancing, they're having a party, they're saying, let's get it started, okay? Fast forward a decade. In 2015, a band comes out that's won several Grammy Awards. They're, named, they're called 21 Pilots. They have their finger on the pulse of Generation Z. The song is called Stressed Out. Watch and listen. Okay. 
Okay, so do you see how that clip started? Here's a young man riding a big wheel. <laughs> I'm just saying. So it's all reminiscent of, uh, this is the house I grew up in in Ohio. He grew up in that house in Ohio, middle class home. Rides a big wheel up, and he's wishing for the, for the old times. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days where mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. So they still do funny, zany things like a handshake like that, but inside the lyrics coming out are, I I'm stressed. Last year, 2018, a band called Chainsmokers put this song out. I'm just going to let you watch it. It's called Sick Boy. If you'll look at those two sentences, it says it all. Are those two sentences, are they not built completely off of social media? Okay, number one, how many, feed yourself with my life's work. I'm going to put my life's work, I'm going to post it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Look at my life's work. And then my gauge for my sense of identity is how many likes is my life worth? In our middle school focus groups, I was flabbergasted at the number of middle school students that said, I draw my primary sense of identity from social media. Not from Jesus, not from my family, not from where I sit in the lunchroom, not from the football team I play on, social media, and it never goes away. Never goes away. So if I were to summarize, just look at a, in a nutshell where we've come, and I realize there's different songs and different genres of music, for sure, but these seem to be illustrative of what's happening in culture today. Now, because I want to come updated with you, I'm going to play one more minute of one more song. This was just released in 2019. It's a musician named Nash, G-N-A-S-H. He's got a cult following, but he's talking about the young person that's so overwhelmed with everything going on, just wants to stay at home in his pajamas. Here it is. It's called, Let's Stay in Our Pajamas. <laughs> TV with the sound off, cause the news is always bad. Let's be immature and ignorant, cause I don't feel like being sad. I wonder if the last generation was better. I wonder if the next one's going to hell. Am I the solution? Am I the problem? Cause sometimes I can't tell. I don't know what the point is. Just know I've been disappointed each night and every and I don't want to play no more Let's stay in our pajamas Let's not leave the house It's been real bad lately But I feel pretty good right now With you laying with me on the couch Nobody understands us I don't understand it Let's stay in our So that's the first minute of the song. There's a whole other minute or two, but do you get the feel? 
I'm singing it, and it's kind of a lively little tune. But inside, what's coming out is, I think I'll just stay inside. And again, may I just remind you, are we not about the Great Commission? That means I go outside, and I find people, the least, the last, the lost. And I'm saying, I believe they're poised. We need to be the mentors, the disciples, but we've got to find a way to connect with them so they can do, they can finish the work that was begun. Amen? All right, I'm looking at my time, trying to manage it wisely. Let me take three minutes to do one more. Th- no, I'm going to skip that. Guys, do you mind if I skip the next slide? I'm so sorry. Maybe I'll do it tonight. Come back tonight. Okay. Um, can you go to Epic Generation? So let's do the prescription. We have about 10 minutes. I'm going to do the prescription. Um, if you and I were to go to Starbucks and just have 10 minutes together, and you said, Tim, what do I need to do to connect with this next generation? I would tell you the next items I'm going to say over the next several minutes. So are we able to... F- Go to that slides. Oh, oh, I have to do it. Okay. I have the power. Is that what you're saying? I have more power than you. Is that what? No, I'm just totally kidding. Okay. Um, we'll, do this. we'll do this tonight. This will be a fun conversation starter, by the way. But um, let's now go to how do we mentor them, okay? This is the big, big question I want to issue. Well, the first thing I would say to you if we were getting a latte at Starbucks is that we need to understand that they are an epic generation, Meaning, they're, um, they're growing up in a very different time, and the letters E, P, I, C aptly describe who they are and how they learn. Can I say that again? The word EPIC is an acronym, E-P-I-C, four words, that aptly describe who they are and how they best learn. So let's look at this real quick. The letter E reminds me, this is a generation of kids that's experiential. If you stop and think about their lives as children growing up, everything seemed to be an experience. Think with me. You can't go to a fast food restaurant without a Playland experience. Am I right about this? It's not just a cheeseburger. It's balls and slides and swings. And Oh, my gosh, cheeseburger's boring, but the whole experience. Have you been to a children's museum lately? It's not just gaze at the painting. It's lick it, sniff it, touch it, taste it. It's a germ fest in there. You want to wipe your hands off Purell when you're done with this experience. Have you noticed this? And then they come to us, and we're a talking head at dinner time or a lecturer Folks, I know it sounds pithy and cliche, but listen to me. They're not looking for a sage on the stage with a talk, with a lecture. I think they are looking for a guide on the side with an experience. So real quick, when our kids were growing up, I knew this, and we were having conversations at night about my kids' people skills. In fact, we introduced the term emotional intelligence when my daughter was 13 and my son was 9. They thought it was so cool they learned emotional intelligence. Well, after dinner conversation, I said, how do you think you're doing? Both my kids thought they had mastered EQ at 13 and 9. I wanted to say, no, you haven't. So I thought, well, just a conversation, even though that's helpful, and a, a, a talk wasn't enough, and a, a discussion wasn't enough. So let me tell you what my wife and I did. We decided to plan a party at our house for our adult friends, neighbors, people from the church that came over to the house, and we assigned our two kids, 13 and 9, to host the party. At first, my kids went, oh, my gosh, this is so stupid. But you know what they learned to do? Answer the door. Hi, Mr. Johnson. Come on in. Have you met Mrs. Smith? Can I take your coat? Would you like some iced tea? And then afterwards, we had a debrief after the experience. Don't you know that was way more powerful than dad giving a couple of points at dinner time? Because they'd just seen how hard it was to host an introvert. By the way, it was so funny. Bethany, my daughter, went, my gosh, Mr. Johnson's EQ is so low. You know, I'm passing judgment on this man who's 45 years old. And I said, Bethany, look in the mirror, look in the mirror, you know. But all I'm saying is the experience was far better than just words. Amen? How do, we, how, do we ho- how do we create environments or experiences from which we dialogue? 
Do dialogue, interpret and, and process, but create an experience first. The letter P is participatory. Have you noticed this is a generation of kids that have grown up participating in the outcomes of where almost everything goes? We've asked them to weigh in early on, to have a vote, to have a say. So if you're a teacher in here, some of the kids you teach have been weighing in at where the family goes on vacation since we're five years old. As young adults, they can hardly watch a reality TV show without voting on who stays on the show next week. I, I, I want to have a say. Have you noticed this? And then they come to us, and it's just us downloading this talk or this lesson plan in school, and it's all us, and they're supposed to just be recipients. Good luck with that. I would like to say, could you let them put their fingerprints on where things are going? Could you let them have a say? Here's the principle I want you to remember on this one. Catch this. Students support what they help create. Students support what they help create. How could we let them have a say? So as my kids were young, we started letting them, uh, when we did a road trip on a family vacation, Jonathan Bethany would weigh in, what hotel will we stay in? It's gonna be in Little Rock, Arkansas. We're gonna need eight hours. This is the hotel we'll stay at and this is the restaurant we'll eat at. And sometimes we waited a long time between meals because they didn't plan very well. But they were participating in how the vacation went. I'm just asking, could we do this? The letter I reminds me, this is a generation that's image rich. I've already mentioned this, but they've grown it with images on a screen, I grew up with TV, they grew up with MTV and VH1. Images are everywhere. So how are we leveraging? How are we leveraging a metaphor better to communicate? Finish this sentence. Have we not said for years, pictures are worth a thousand words? Jesus leveraged these things. We need to be better at not just blah, 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 but how do we leverage an image better to start a conversation? And then yes, there's certainly more things you can teach them, but the image starts the conversation, it's right hemisphere and left hemisphere of the brain, and it engages them far better. How well are you using imagery in your communication? And then lastly, letter C, they're connected. They're connected both socially as well as technologically, and sometimes they're connected socially through technology. Wouldn't you agree with that? I submit to these four teenagers here probably texting each other on the steps right there. Yes. Have you ever seen that, by the way? They're sitting right next to me. What are you texting for? You know? So, teachers in the room, let me just talk to you for a minute. If you've got a class of 25 students, what if you stopped halfway through the class period and broke them up into groups of three, eight groups of three? We found three is the best number. Uh, Three is not too big that a shy person won't chime in, but it's not so small that if one person doesn't show up, it's just one-on-one. So what if you broke them into groups of three and you gave them a well-crafted question, one that could not be answered with yes or no or Jesus or 1865 or whatever, and you let them begin to connect with each other, argue with each other, wrestle with an issue. I'm telling you, we have found some of the most innovative ideas come from these small group discussions that happen when the adult stops talking and the kids start talking. I wish I had time to illustrate. I don't. I'm out of time. But I want you to know, I've watched now for 35 years this happening and students just getting it when I stopped controlling and I started connecting. Can I say that again? When I stopped controlling and I started connecting. What if we acted more like consultants, not commanders? You can say amen or ouch, either one. It's still true. And we really turned them loose. And we guided them. We're a guide on the side, not a sage on the stage. How could we do this? So let me wrap up this way. Um, I want to go very, very quickly. Um, Oh, gosh, I'm going to have to. I want to do one last slide to kind of close this out. Um, Here's what we've learned about Generation Z. Four statements. 
If you don't get anything else, capture this. So as we work now, we work with about 10,000 schools, uh, middle school, high school, colleges, college athletics, and um, here's what we've learned. Number one, trust must be earned. Even if you're mom and dad, you go, well, of course, I'm mom and dad, they should listen to me. Mm, maybe, yeah, but I believe even the caring adults around them that you think they would naturally trust, this is a very jaded time. And I believe I do better as a father, as a teacher, as a mentor, when I earn their trust. Which leads to number two, relationship must be established. I know you believe this. I know enough about Temple Baptist to know you are friendly people that love to say hi, you love to love, you love to build relationships. Don't sell this short because they're so different from you. Can I give you a phrase that I've used now for years that's helped me? We must build bridges of relationship that can bear the weight of truth. Can I say that again? We must build bridges of relationship that are strong enough to bear the weight of truth. Sometimes hard truth. Have you ever tried to confront a kid, parents in the room, have you ever tried to confront your son or daughter and you're just really messed up right now? Good luck with that, right? Teachers, have you ever tried to confront a student you have no relationship with? Good luck with that. But you build relationships and they know you love them and believe in them. There's no doubt in their mind. You can say hard things, but relationship comes first. Relationship minus rules, excuse me, rules minus relationship equals rebellion. Rules without any relationship leads to rebellion. How many Christian kids have you known gone to a Christian school that had a bunch of rules, nothing else? They said, I'm getting out of here as quick as I can. Do you not know somebody like this? Okay, one last, two, two more. Incentive must be cultivated because your voice is up against 10,000 other voices every day in their life. Good luck with getting your message through. Can I tell you what will do it? Incentivize them. Teachers, I would say this. Take the first five to six minutes of the class, and before you get to the what, do why. Before you get to section seven of the textbook, say, let me tell you why this subject is going to be so relevant to your life in five years, how you're going to use this later in real life. Suddenly, it'd be, it's relevant. Most of the kids I talk to go, I have no idea why algebra two is relevant to my life at all. Come on. Yeah, we had adult amen on that one. Number four, hope must be offered. This sounds so crazy because we're Christ followers. But I'm telling you, let's speak words of hope. Let's speak words of hope. Let's speak words of hope. Don't stop. Don't ever stop doing that. That should always be true. Amen? But I'm telling you, especially in the day we live in, it's scary. They're overwhelmed because they know what's happening in Belgium when the bombing happens one minute later. So let me close this way. This may be re relevant to you. I love telling the story whenever I get a chance. Probably the smartest parenting decision my wife and I ever made was, happened when our kids turned 13 years old. Bethany was first. She's our firstborn. She's now 30. So this was 17 years ago. Um, when she turned 13, eighth grade year, I sat down at the dinner table about 9 o'clock at night. And I said, Bethany, your mother and I, with you, want to create a rite of passage experience. She said, what's that? And I explained it to her. How in the Jewish culture, in the scriptures, there would be a rite of passage. We now call it bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. But it's some experience that leads them from childhood to adulthood. Not overnight, but over time. Well, we don't have one in America, really, right? I mean, we have a driver's license, and that's not working really well right now. So that night, she and I together, my daughter and I, chose six women that would be one-day mentors for her that next year. Over the course of the next 365 days, she and I picked women that she thought were really cool and women that Pam and I, my wife and I, admired as wonderful, godly female role models. Some were stay-at-home moms, some were working women. 
Uh, but they were ladies that were well-adjusted in midlife that we thought, here's a model of what we want her to see. Now, we weren't delegating our parental responsibilities. We're still trying to be good mom and dad. But have you noticed in the teenage years, mom and dad's voice tends to go down in its influence and other people's voices tends to go up in its influence? We were just leveraging the body of Christ well. Folks, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I will say this. Those ladies went beyond my wildest imaginations. All six of them said yes to my request. And then over that next year, they were epic. Sarah was the first one. I'll just tell you Sarah's story. Sarah is a registered nurse. She works at the local hospital in the maternity ward. She took our little eighth grade girl, Bethany, and took her into the maternity ward. Between nine and three that day, our eighth grader was helping women give birth to babies. Yes, scares the bejeebies out of me just thinking about it right now. I mean, she saw everything, too. They treated her like an intern. Hand me the scalpel. She saw a C-section, natural birth. She saw everything. At 3 o'clock, Sarah took her out of the maternity ward, took her into another room in the hospital where Sarah taught a class for unwed mothers. Bethany sat amidst a bunch of other teenagers that were pregnant, probably didn't want to be. And after that experience over dinner, do you know what Sarah's life message was for Bethany? By the way, I asked all these ladies to share one life message with our daughter. A message you wish you would have heard when you were 13, but nobody ever shared it with you. Do you know what Sarah's message was? It was on sexual purity. Waiting for the man that God brings you, not just being sexually active with anybody that comes along. Well, don't you know that message got through loud and clear that particular day of her life? Much better than my lecture on the subject, and I've got a really good lecture. Here's my point. Every one of these ladies was brilliant as they created an experience they had a conversation. Bethany heard them. She told me recently, I still hear those ladies' voices ring in my head. At the end of the year, we had all six of those women over to our house for a dinner, a thank you dinner. And then we went into the family room for one last event. My daughter, Bethany, I encouraged her, but she did this, set up a chair in the middle of the room and with Sandra and Holly and Betsy and Sarah, all the women around, one by one, she read a personal note to each of these ladies. Dear Miss Holly, this is what I learned from you. This is how my life changed. Thank you. Dear Miss Betsy, this is what I learned from you. This is how my life changed. Thank you. Dear Miss Sandra, dear Miss Sarah. Well, you can imagine there wasn't a dry eye in the room as these ladies whispered back to her. Some gave them their, their cell phone number. And then afterwards, I stood up and I tried to read scripture. Have you ever tried to read scripture in an emotional moment? I couldn't get through it. They, they didn't need me to. These ladies were so intuitive. Ladies, you're good. These ladies all got up from their chairs and sofa and knelt on the carpet. And looking up at our little girl, our little blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl, just started speaking words of blessing. Bethany, you're going to be a great leader one day. I can just tell. Bethany, you're going to be a great wife if you choose to be. Bethany, you're going to be a great mama if you choose to be. I watched my little girl just bloom. And the only reason I say this is you are the body of Christ. Not the whole body, but a big chunk of it. What if we just lent each other to each other? What if we became those adults that said, I'll spend an afternoon. Single moms would love this. You know that, don't you? And I'm just saying, if we could do this, this community could disciple part of the generation that's in front of us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking now that you would help us, stir us to not just sit and listen and say amen, 
but to find someone in this emerging generation that could use what we have. Help us to listen, not just talk. Help us to empathize, not just judge. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we see an incredible population from this part of the state, this part of our country, bloom and know how to solve problems and serve people. I ask this in the name of Jesus and God's people said,